We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedanko here with a very special staying well guest. When I say staying well, I'm referring to Leslie Vernick's teaching of stay well or leave well. In other words, if you stay in your marriage, you need to stay well emotionally, physically, spiritually, and psychologically. It doesn't necessarily mean your marriage relationship is fixed. It simply means you're able to stay and stay well. Connie, we're going to talk about how you've learned how to do this because you weren't always well in your marriage. And honestly, you didn't go into your marriage well. Tell our listeners a little bit about your childhood and how it impacted you as an adult. Sure. Thanks for having me. I was a third daughter to my mother. She has four daughters altogether. So I'm the third born. And she was very young when she got married, 17, had a sister when she was 18, a sister when she was 19, and me when she was 22. Wow. While she was pregnant with me, she was going through a divorce. And that in the early 60s, that was pretty unheard of. She claimed she was the first uncontested divorce, or like no-fault divorce, I guess that she called it, no-fault divorce in Washington State. Maybe the first year they did that. But so I didn't really, and then she got remarried by the time I was one. So I didn't really come into the world at a time when a mother was at her best necessarily equipped to be a parent. I feel like I was probably raised by my five and four-year-old sisters more than anything. Wow. Um, so I kind of didn't, I, I just, in my soul, I just don't think I had that mother's gaze that adores you and makes you feel like you're loved and secure. My nickname was as a kid was Connie, can I go? Because I think I was just, I think I felt the fear of abandonment from very young. Like I always wanted to go everywhere. And with four kids, she didn't want to take us anywhere. So we always got left home being babysat by my older sisters. Well, and your home was not really a great place to be either. Yeah. And my mom is a hoarder. She could easily be on the show, the hoarders, or there's a couple of different TLC shows about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a little goat trail path through our house. She has multiple freezers and refrigerators. They're all very full of expired food. She has a two-car garage that's all food. Um, but as kids, we weren't allowed to touch any of it. So I think of my childhood as being hungry, cold, scared uh, all the time. Didn't you say there were even fleas? Yeah, we always had some kind of a indoor-outdoor cat. We just went through a lot of cats because, you know, when cats are outdoors, they don't last very long. They just disappear. But we always had cats. And you can't clean a house that's a hoarding house, so you're just going to have fleas. And once in a while, our family would leave and bomb the house or whatever, but you, you can't really own a house with fleas. So when it's that bad of conditions, so I... To this day, I'm still completely creeped out if I feel something. I think I feel a tickle in my sheets. I've oh, thrown my yeah. covers off. I'm completely I'm gonna, creeped out. Where's I'm the? I'm gonna have place? a nightmare tonight now. <laughs> <laughs> so this obviously is not a normal childhood, and it really did impact you going into marriage. What were some of the the needs and the impact? I guess your childhood had on you as you went into marriage? 
Well, I definitely just wanted to get away from that. I moved out when I was 18 years old and I got married when I was 20. And I just wanted somebody to love me. That has to come from within. So it's not something another person can feed into you. I felt unlovable, felt unimportant. And in romance, you think you are. So when when you're first dating and the whole romance and everything, it all feels wonderful. And then real life sets in. I tried to earn love. So it's like, I just worked harder and harder and harder to be better and be better, be better. Give me an example of how you tried harder and what his response was. Well, I was very needy and didn't feel loved. And so it doesn't matter how loving somebody is to somebody. If you don't feel lovable and you don't feel loved, you can't even receive it. So it seemed as though I couldn't receive it. And so I would just keep telling him, like, you're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. And I would drag him to the next marriage seminar and watch the next marriage video and read the next marriage book. And he just called it all man bashing. And for him, so I'm very anxious attachment disorder. And he's very avoidant attachment. So the more anxious I got and said, like, well, you don't hold my hand and you don't hug me and you don't you don't do these things. Then he just felt instead of hearing my needs, he just felt attacked. And like I was saying, he's not enough. So he would call all that Christian marriage stuff that I would try to drag him to. It's just more man bashing. So if he, to him, it was all man bashing. And to me, it actually made me feel worse because it showed me all these examples of how husbands open the door for your wife. So that makes them feel special. And I would ask him to do that. And he would be like, you're perfectly capable of opening your own door. I'm not opening your door. Because to him, he just thought, if I do this, she's just going to raise the bar and she's just going to raise the bar. So he was of the mindset, if he moved my needs, I would raise the bar. Mm, He may or may not have been right. He never tried. So it's not into my belief that I have to earn them. So I kept the perfect house. I was doing my makeup perfect. I was my hair perfect. Never got overweight. Tried to be the perfect mom. Just tried to be more perfect. And hoping that I would finally earn the love that I was desperate for. But things didn't get better. In fact, they got worse. Describe some of the deterioration in the relationship. Yeah. The more that I pushed and whined, it was just a lot of whining. Like, you don't don't like it. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? You know, it's just, it was just very whiny. The more I did that, the more he pulled away because he was still bad about himself. And eventually he started texting and calling another younger woman a lot (laughs) he denied and lied and I whined and he but one thing that happens with men when they are not being faithful is they really vilify their wives so even though we had a hard marriage before he was treating me really badly give me an example um started drinking more heavily he would have more work put on his headphones sit with his phone in front of him and drink. So like I couldn't even talk to him. And he would go do this like out on the deck by himself. He would come home, he would grab our little dogs and he would take them for the walk on the beach by himself. He would go outside and take pictures of the sunset and post them on Facebook. And I was like in the house working on something. I didn't even know the sunset was beautiful. He wouldn't even say like, oh, come see this sunset. So he just wasn't including me in his life anymore. He was... I realized that for about a year, he'd never posted a single picture of me on Facebook anymore. He, for our anniversary, I think, he pulled into the parking lot and you know, said, wait here and went in the store and bought a single rose and came out and gave it to me in the parking lot and they said, happy anniversary. That's all? 
this is how we're celebrating our anniversary now. So it just was all of these things. It just wasn't like him because he's always been a kind man. Even though we didn't really need each other's needs and we were hurting each other, we didn't know how to get out of that dance. Would you have described your marriage prior to the affair as destructive or more just disappointing? Disappointing. Okay. I think it was just disappointing because I had this expectation that it would be like it was when we were dating always. I've had this expectation that now I'll finally feel loved and lovable. So you were really trying to feel a need that he was never meant to fill. No, he was so much more like my mother. And I think that I just did this thing where not in the hoarding sense or anything like that, but just in the not available sense, kind of self-absorbed. He just thought that if he mowed the lawn and got him the money and he cooks, he cleans, he'll do anything I I ask him to do. He just thought that that's, that was enough. And he shouldn't, I shouldn't have any emotional needs because he doesn't, he truly believes he has no feelings and needs nothing. He doesn't want to ever be needy. He doesn't want, he doesn't like neediness. And I just became more and more needy. So the more I needy, I got the more he pulled away, the more he pulled away, the more anxious made me, which made me more needy. And we just did this dance. So at some point in, I think you said you were married for 28 years and that's when you did discover an affair. How did you finally confirm that he was being unfaithful? Afraid, afraid for God to reveal the truth. I asked a lot of my friends what they thought, and they all know him, and he's very charming and kind, and they all, I felt like they added to the gaslighting. They all told me I was crazy, and that was very hard to be in this world. I know what I know. Everybody's telling my husband and all of his his friends, my friends, our friends, they all are telling me that I'm crazy. I finally had a I was working with and told her some of the symptoms that she had just discovered that her husband had been having an affair. And she just looked me straight in the eye and said, he is, you know, you pray and I'm praying you will discover this. And she just knew that the signs were there and there was, you know, without knowing his charm, she could tell that I was telling the truth. So I prayed. And then one day I just happened to, in my constantly trying to please him and constantly trying to be better and constantly trying to be like, what am I doing wrong? Why are you stonewalling me? I bought his favorite candy and dropped by his office and just thought, I'll just surprise him with the street. And I walked in and he didn't know I was coming. And he put his phone behind his back. Like, no, no, you can't hide your phone. And he pulled the phone out from behind his back and proceeded to swipe to delete the text thread. And I'm like, no, don't you dare delete that. You let me see it. And he deleted it right in front of my eyes. Oh. I just like, we're done. I was so mad. And then he tried to lie some more about it and say it was just a picture of a dog, a friend of his that he should overreact. I got the whole you overreact thing. I said, well, then let's text, let's text her right now. And I'll just watch me. Let's see. Let's see how the text thread goes right now. And he wouldn't. He said, I'm not going to put her between us. This is our issue. It's not her. Like, well, let's just call her. Let's let me put her on speaker. You call her and talk to her and let's see how it goes. And he wouldn't do any of that. And so anyway, so I was I was furious and done and spiraling and crazy and knew that everything I believed was true. And it took him, I gave him like 24 hours to tell the the whole truth, which he gave a little trickle truth for quite a while. I then finally pulled up the phone records and because he said, it's just a friend. It's just been about a month and we just probably talked too much. And he even used the little air quotes and said, I suppose as We've agreed in our marriage. I suppose this might be an affair because I'm keeping a secret from you. 
but it's, it's really nothing. And then I pulled the phone records and saw that it was hours and hours. And every time he traveled, he was on the phone with her for hours and hours. She was across the country, so it wasn't together. But it was only been going on seven months, not a month, like he claimed and stuff. Mm. And so I found out that he was still lying. And in, in, in one week, you give me the whole truth or talk to me anymore. And he did. That I got all the, I got more details than I even expected. And I think that he was fully honest and sorry. And um, we did a little bit of counseling, but he really hates counseling. And I felt like every time we went to counseling, I was not feeling terrible, terribly beat up about how I could communicate better. Now it just, it wasn't trauma counseling. It wasn't count. It wasn't fair counseling. How you could communicate better. I mean, yeah, is that really the main issue at this point? Yeah. Like how could I ask for my needs instead of, which some of all that is helpful, but it wasn't what we needed then. It's one thing to talk about how you discovered your husband was having an affair but what did that do to you inside? It completely, I'm going to cry talking about it, completely wrecked me. It wrecked me in a way I never, I can't ever imagine a, a bigger pain. I talk, I, I thought about the scripture that talks about us being one. And I felt like I was torn in half. And like my flesh was wide open. Like if we were connected face to face and we were meshed, because that's kind of how I, I was a little meshed in my marriage in an unhealthy way. And I just felt like I was ripped wide open and my guts were just hanging out. And for almost two full years, I barely functioned. I cried every day. I was needy, I, more needy. It triggered everything I believed about, see, I am unlovable. What other things were you, did you tell yourself as a result of this? I, well, I completely owned more of the fault of it than I even allowed him to own. It was, it's my fault that I'm not good enough. I'm too much. I've pecked you to death like a duck by begging you to be more, to be better, to care. I I went into complete fight, flight, freeze, and fawn mode. I did all of them all at the same time. I was trying to be kinder to him than I'd ever been. I was screaming at him. I was surrounded myself with, like I just covered all the walls in my room with, with scripture verses and who I am in Christ and just tried to complete. I tried to do, and I worked so hard. I just 24-7. I was reading, watching videos, or like I just was completely consumed with trying to fix my marriage. And all he could say to all of that was, we just need to catch our breath. We just need to, he just kept saying, like, we just need to let things, let the dust settle. We just need to catch our breath. And I just thought that was like watching a house burn down and saying, let's just, let's just catch our breath for a minute. I'm like, no, call the fire department, like run around, grab everything we can. So he was saying, let's take a breath, but how did he respond to his own sin? Did he break it off willingly? Did What was his he response in, in repenting? Yeah, he did break it off immediately. And he was very sorry. And he just kept saying things like, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. He's He is 
a believer, but he doesn't care to go to church. And when he would say it was a mistake, I would get furious. And I said things like, no, a mistake is when you trip over a sprinkler head in the yard and break it. Like, this isn't a mistake. Well, I think that's really true because it wasn't a mistake. You purposely betrayed your vows and trust mm. and a trust mistake doesn't take seven months of yeah, yeah, and growing. And Leslie talks a lot about trust and safety. How did this feel to you as far as obviously being able to trust him or feeling safe with him? Tell me what that felt like in, in those areas. I was hypervigilant. I didn't trust him for anything. I made myself more crazy. I made myself more anxious than the word crazy is very nice, but that's how I just describe all those feelings by checking his email constantly, by checking his text messages constantly, by searching his truck, by just, I was super vigilant and that, that kind of made me crazy. He was never helpful, never found anything. I mean, there was a couple of slip ups a year into it or something. I found some Google searches where he was searching the city where she lived. I think he was searching her parents' names. And every time I confront him, it still starts out as a little bit of a lie. And then he's able to get over his terror of me. And then he'll finally tell the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, first he denied doing it. And then when I confronted him with what I found, then it was like, okay, yeah, I was thinking about her and I wanted to send her a Christmas card. And I thought I'd send it to her parents' house. I know there's got to be people listening that are like, why didn't you leave? Why didn't I leave? Hard part is, is that there hasn't been any history of this. This was this one time thing. Even with the Christmas card thing, I know his personality. And I know he cares about other people. And so I think that he was concerned about her, like in a way, like, I hope she's happy. I think he was concerned that she's probably mad that she was mad at him when they broke it off. And I think he's concerned about his image. And he wants things to be. So I don't know. I'm kind of making excuses and I probably just don't even want to go down this road. Um, you did make excuses but for him, though. I, I did. And it and, seems and like, if I can be so bold, you had this way of blaming yourself for the affair, Yeah, of telling yourself that you weren't enough and making excuses for him. He had to go outside the marriage because I nagged him so much. And he's just a nice guy. And he just cared about making sure she was okay and sending a Christmas card and on and on and on. And myself and probably everybody listening is screaming, no, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. He made a choice. And you don't send a Christmas card to the person you had an affair with if you're trying to save your marriage. It just, and you, but you began to learn this after you found Conquer. Yes. Tell me about how you came across Leslie and her teachings. Yeah. So it was almost two full years of me just spiraling um, on antidepressants and still spiraling, just, just a mess. And I think it just must be a God thing that somebody told me about Leslie Vernick and I looked her up on YouTube and then found her on Facebook and started listening to everything I could, whatever I could learn. And this was my trying to 
detach emotionally from my husband because I was enmeshed and he was my identity. I was a wife. I was mother. My house, like he, he's successful. So he, he provides for us financially. I had no idea what I would do. I thought I would die without him. I'm still in that mentality. And when I found Leslie, I started to take all of her courses, read, join Conquer, read, watched every single video in the Conquer library. But just early on into that, I started to get some strength and I saw my marriage is destructive because it's destroying me. So even if I still wasn't able to pigeonhole my husband as being a destructive man, the situation was destructive. I was being destroyed. Absolutely. What were some of the milestones in your conquer journey that really began to change you and your thinking? I think one of the biggest ones was we did a chart where we would write down the situation, this triggering situation. And then I would write down what my thoughts were about that and what my feelings were about that. And it was kind of this, Leslie talks about a big circle. And so it was learning what's in my big circle. What are my thoughts? What are my feelings? And does this align with who I want to be? Does it align with God's truth? So when something would happen, say we had a small little family gathering and I would be hyper-focused that my husband paid zero attention to me. This was after, this was more recently, we're trying to put things back together. I'm like, this is the chance when you get to come put your arm around me, you get to come hold my hand, you get to show my family that you love me because they think I'm a fool for staying with you. So you have this chance. And so I would be high. So look, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care because he didn't do this. And then I would, okay, what are my thoughts about that? What are my feelings about that? This is the situation. And I realized that because I was feeling unlovable and I was thinking that he clearly doesn't love me or he would do this. That was driving the whole thought process and the whole reaction and the whole meltdown that would happen after that. So that was huge. Were you able to change that thinking? And if so, how? It's a work in progress. I still have to do that constantly because my body, every cell in me, when I don't get attention, Every cell in me feels panicked, like I'm being abandoned. I'm not loved. And I have to talk my body down and be like, look around the room of the people who do care about you and stop focusing on the one who's trying to be charming and entertain the whole party and focus on you know, the daughter who adores me and gives me using all of the love I could use uh, and want. And instead, I'm focused on the one place that I can't get the love. I'm like trying to get blood out of a turnip from this one area where it's not possible instead of appreciating the love that's right there in front of me. So it took a while of being in conquer the big circle stuff, learn who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? There was the, what are my thoughts and feelings somewhere in there? I realized that this is destructive. I'm not healing. He's not changing. And he's not, he doesn't want to go to counseling. He doesn't want to read a book. He doesn't want to get any help. He just wants to let the dust settle. Well, it's been two years of dust settling and I'm not settling. So because of all of I learned in Conqueror and this core strength class, and I decided that it was time for separation. So 
I reached out to a friend to ask for some financial advice from her and her husband. Uh, should I buy, rent, move out of state, in state? How do I do this? I knew that if I just separated and I just got an apartment down the street, that I was going to continue to do the same thing. I really needed a bigger separation than that. She told me that her parents are snowbirds and that they are in Arizona for the winters and here in the Seattle area for their summers when their house was going to be empty all summer long. And I was able to stay there for free all by myself. Incredible. So how long were you separated for? And, and did that help? It was so helpful. It was five months total ended up being, and we needed every minute of that. I was separating because I was done and I knew that I needed to figure out, can I live on my own? Do I want to live in Washington or Arizona? Um, will I survive? Because I thought I would die if I wasn't married. And I spent that entire five months completely pouring myself into, that's when we actually watched every single video in the Concord Library. And there's almost 200 of them. There's a lot. There's a minutes. lot of there's videos. All, it's about like 20 minutes a piece. And I would go for a three mile walk every morning and I would listen to two or three of them on my walk. And um, we just learned so much and got so strong. And my husband would still try to call me almost every day and we would talk and I would usually end up in tears because it was just more of the same. It was, it didn't ever feel like intimacy. It was just talking about the weather. And I'm like, I, I don't need to be talking about the weather with you. It's just not important to me. And we did some work on love languages and we finally was able to get him to understand that calling me every day was actually more of acts of service than it was quality time or words of encouragement or some of the things that mattered to me because he was calling me while he was making dinner and taking care of the dogs. And he was like, I couldn't even look at the video when he would FaceTime me because he was all over the place and it would make me dizzy. So he wasn't actually present. And he, he was checking a box. He was just checking a box. So it was another act of service to him. And like, it's not your acts of service fall short, fall, they fall flat because that's not my love language. I don't care. But in that time, I realized I wouldn't die. I realized I kind of liked living alone. I went off of antidepressants and I was pretty perfectly happy. I was calm. My little Apple watch thing showed my heart rate was down. I was just in such a good place. So I did a better job of deciding to work on my relationship with the Lord and really believe that God says I am lovable because he created me and to really start to learn to believe. And this will be a lifelong process too, that I can't earn love. And that I am broken and a sinner and fallen and still lovable. Because I just kept thinking if I could be perfect, then I would get the love I needed. And I've had to find that balance of grace and to just be instead of be better. And some people will like me and some people won't. And I will be annoying to some people and some people will find me endearing. And I actually have lost a couple of friends since being in Hong because really? I am, I am just realizing I can't keep trying to earn their love and approval I have to just be who I am. And that's not everybody's cup of tea. I like to go deep. Some people don't. And I can be critical because I'm a perfectionist. And so that, that's a struggle for me. And so then during that five months, what my husband got to experience was what it was like to be single 
because I think that a man in his late fifties probably can get in his brain a worked up idea of that my life would be so much more fun if I didn't have a wife. He got to find out that he was bored. And discontent, same as he was when he was married, when we were together, bored and discontent. And where I got to figure out that my feeling unlovable wasn't his fault, he got to find out that being bored and discontent wasn't my fault. And he got to experience that he didn't really like being alone. And he got to see that I had needs, I wasn't needy. And I had certain expectations of what marriage would be in a relationship and he could step up or he was going to lose me. And so even though it wasn't about changing him, it was just, you get to choose. If you want to do this, then it's not healthy for me. And I don't want to be married to you anymore. And, and I just said things like that instead of like, why can't you, why can't you do this? Why can't you be better at this? And and then I, ha- I had to see where he was willing to make some compromises. Like, okay, so maybe when we're watching TV on the couch, I can sit next to you instead of at the other end of the room. Because that's important to you. Even though it's not important to him, it's important to me to sit close to him. And I have to then also accept that this isn't his thing. And if he doesn't sit next to me, it doesn't mean he doesn't love me. Yeah. Exactly. And it doesn't mean I'm not lovable. It means this is his thing. His on his love language is physical touch. It's his number five. I mean, like that's the bottom. He couldn't care less about that. He likes to feel the hero. He likes to feel like he's taken care. But when it suddenly became about him, he didn't like it anymore. When now he was a problem. He was the one causing my pain instead of rescuing me from the pain. And he didn't know how to handle that and never will because he doesn't he doesn't want to go deep. I think a big part of staying well is accepting who they are and not continually wishing that they were somebody different. Learning to love the person that you married, not the person that you thought you married. Exactly. Yeah. And just knowing that this doesn't come natural to him. He doesn't particularly like it. And I can ask for it. And sometimes I'll get it. And sometimes I won't. And I have to just choose, like, how am I going to self-soothe when I don't get what I want? Because I say I still would like somebody to sit and gaze into my eyes 24-7 and just look into my soul and talk to me and ask my thoughts on everything. But he's not God. He never will be. And I think my whole marriage, I probably had Christian friends say something about like, it's your husband, your idol. And I never could really understand that. But I think it was when Leslie talked about, do you need him with a capital N? And I realized, yeah, I do. That's what the idol thing is. I put more energy into making my marriage better than making my relationship with God better. So I think that's where I saw the idol. Because I never could really sort out the difference. Like your marriage is supposed to be great. This is your the person here on earth that you love the most and you spend the rest of your life with. And why are, is all my striving to have a better marriage bad? Uh, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And but it because it can be destructive to you. And because when you need it, like she says, capital N E E D, as though you're gonna die without it, you have no control. You have absolutely zero control whether he responds or not. And so you cannot be okay because you need it too much. You need him to change too much. Exactly. I know you've 
been back together now since September. What caused you to say, okay, let's move back in together? I would say for those two years, he was before we were separated. I kept saying he was indifferent. And the indifference didn't come like, I don't care about you. It came in like, let's just let the dust settle. Doing anything to change our dynamics wasn't important to him. He just was somehow thought it was just going to happen. When I felt that indifference change in about August, and I felt him focusing more on when we did FaceTime, he wouldn't do other things. He would look me in the eyes. He would ask me questions. If I started to get quiet in a conversation, he did something that he still does to this day, and it still blows me away. He'll say, Connie, where'd you go? If I get quiet, or he'll say, I lost you. What happened? He's never, he never wanted to know the answer to that because he always assumed I'm bad. This is him talking like, I'm bad. I'm a screw up. I'm a bad husband. She's mad at me. So he didn't want to know. He already knew that he was not measuring up. And now he wants to know. And what he's realizing, and that's just terrifying for him to do that, but he does it. So he's doing some of the hard things. And I realize now that when he asks that, because of the stuff that I've learned from Leslie about owning my own emotions and my own feelings and my own how I show up, when he asks me, sometimes I can go like, oh, yeah, I guess I was thinking about this friend who hurt my feelings when she kind of left our friendship in the midst of my trauma. And he realized it's not always about him when I go into my ruminating thoughts and, and replaying scenarios and stuff in my head. It's not about him a good bunch of the time. I'm thinking about my mother or I'm thinking about another relationship. So and he began to do his own work. He did. And a lot of it, I did share a lot of what I learned from Leslie. There was another lesson from Leslie that I loved that was how there's takers and givers. And if I'm a liver a three on the scale and he's a taker a three on the scale over here nobody's going to be zero we both need to move in and where I needed to move in and be a little more selfish like you know what this isn't meeting my needs in my marriage and this is destroying me and I actually need somebody who cares about me and touches me occasionally and you know like I need these things it's okay for me to ask for that when I would ask for that would usually start sobbing. It was so hard to ask for what seemed to be like just a simple, rather than just like, why don't you pay attention to me? To say like, I actually need you to hold my hand now. It felt so like mean. And it felt like if I say this, I might not get loved. I might get rejected. It was so scary. But what I learned from Leslie is that for him to give was the same pain. For him to go from like, I'm just used to just, I take care of myself. I don't need anybody. Nobody should need me. Well, for him to like give into one of his needs felt like he was saying to himself, I'm a doormat. People are going to walk all over me. So it was just as painful for him to move in a little bit. And I shared that example with him. And I think that when I learned something and I was able to share it with him in a way that wasn't attacking, but like, look, I learned this. Does this resonate with you? And he could learn it too. And he had understanding for me asking for what I needed. And I had understanding for him, how hard it was for him to give a little bit too. So how was Conquer and what you learned in Conquer different from the marriage counseling that you had tried so many times? 
I think that big circle thing in Conquer of learning, like, who do I want to be and how do I want to show up? What do I value? What's important to me? And quickly in my big circle, the number one thing is honesty and integrity. Describe the big circle teaching for our listeners oh, just briefly. So, so in, in my big circle, it, and I'm probably not going to describe as good as you could, but it's, I put things in there, the virtues and the values that make me who I am am and how I want to be. So things in my big circle are things like honesty, integrity, kindness, appreciation of beauty. And when I realize that I'm being unkind or critical, or I stop caring about the beauty all around me, that's when I'm outside of my big circle. And I'm not behaving in a way that's that's aligned with how God created me to be. And so as you're in your marriage or out with friends or whatever, you can ask yourself, you have this image in your mind and you can say, am I living out of my big circle? And, and I think her little circles then are things like thoughts and feelings. And these things are outside of me. And so how am I going to deal with those things? And so I was even able to use that with my husband. Like, what's in your big circle? And his was like, family. They're not important to me. So I remember all his books like courage <laughs> and braveness. But, you know, things like, of course, those are in your big circle. Power, things like that. and. It's so good to learn about him in in that way. I think it's a powerful thing. Right. And then to just ask him, so is allowing our marriage to fall apart? Does that fit in your big circle where family is so important? Because it will change our family. We will have to share our grand. We have just a six-month-old granddaughter right now. We'll have to take turns seeing her. We won't get to see her together. We'll have to take turns for holidays and stuff like that. It's like, so if family is so important... Act like you it. Invest in that. Yeah. <laughs> you need to invest in it. Yeah. So yeah. So he he changed where he asks me now, how am I doing? And then he also then said in August, he says, What do you think about going on vacation with me for like let's just let's go on vacation somewhere and do a reset? And uh me that I suppose it was Connie Can I go was my nickname as a child. Like to be invited meant so much. And I just felt this shift in him where for two years, I felt like he was turned away from me. What well, was two years plus the entire So it was over three years. Then he, I felt like he was turned away from me, turned away from me in his own self-soothing, in his own threats about his life, about his own, his own midlife crisis. And I felt this shift in him. I felt him turn towards me. And it was some us because he was seeing that I was no longer being so needy or had needs. I wasn't blaming him for everything. I was owning my own stuff. I was saying what I would accept and not accept rather than just whining for wanting more. It's like, this is okay with me. And this is not, this is deal breaker. This is, so I just kind of grew in maturity. I mean, I'm 50, I'm going to be 59 years old next month. And I feel like at 58 years old, I became an adult. Hmm. Isn't that incredible? Conquer. That's incredible. But you asked me about why it was how it was different than um, the counseling, yeah. and I think it's because I've been to, been to a lot of counselors in my life because of my the trauma from my childhood and because of my unhappy marriage. I was just unhappy so many times. I've been on and off of antidepressants because it was just it was I just felt unloved, and that's depressing. And, yeah. and so I've been on and, and I feel like the counselors I've had have always worked on where does this come from. So a lot of looking back. And I've analyzed to death. And so I completely understand why I'm the way I am. 
but I just don't think that ever gave me the tools of now, what are you going to do with that? Yes. How are you going to show up? And then the marriage counseling that we did together, we could have drug him to marriage counseling two or three times. And it would become like a battle over some trivial thing. Like I laugh. The joke is I drug him to marriage counseling three different times to talk about laundry. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> but that's a big deal. <laughs> you know what it is for me though? I love to do laundry and I want to do the laundry. And my husband continues to throw a load in and throw off my schedule. And I want him to just knock it off. Just let me have laundry. What do you mean you want to do laundry? It's a slap in the face. It's like, I'm your clothes are washed, dried, folded, ironed, and put away all on the same day every single week. I've been trying to earn love my whole life. So laundry is part of earning love. I just thought- I will will love you like nobody's business if you want to come over here and do some laundry and ironing. (laughs) I know, and that's so funny, but he didn't, he doesn't want to be needy. He doesn't want to be controlled. So where I would just say like, don't throw it, don't do your laundry. If you need a load of laundry done, because like something needs to be washed by tomorrow or whatever, ask me to do it. He refused to do that and still won't. And so I don't do his laundry anymore. That's just one of the agreements since the affair. You know what? I don't do your laundry. I'm not touching your laundry. I'm just doing my own. And it's still hard for me. I don't have enough for a load now. Like, like I like my systems and I like control and I like, like all of us women. I like doing it perfect. I don't like it when I open up the dryer and his clothes are cold and sitting in there and all wrinkled. I pull things out while they're still warm. Fold, I like folding warm clothes that the heat, the structure, the perfectionism of it all, it just makes me happy. I mean, my I can fold a fitted sheet like you can't even tell it's fitted. Oh, come on. It's just it's nobody like, can do that. Something that I shine at. And that's amazing. Going to the couple's counselor, the counselor was like, just be loved without doing anything. I'm like, I don't, wow. I don't even know what that means. I, I don't even know. Because I because I said it feels like if you love me, you would let me do this. And and that just is. So the couple's counseling was just more about like communication. And I'm clearly a good communicator. I'm clearly good at saying what I want to need. I mean, yeah, I did it sort of whiny, but it's not like you didn't know. He just didn't care. He didn't want to do it. Yes. Yes. I think sometimes that's the big reveal in marriage counseling is he can spit back everything you've told him, but does he care? Yeah. Does he care? The, the counselor did like some of the Gottman stuff, like small things often, like would tell us to go home and spend five minutes. Every, when he gets home from work, spend five minutes looking into each other's eyes and asking about each other's day. And I don't remember what all the small things were because I did them every day, like tried to, and he never did it once. So what you're describing is not, it's still not a perfect marriage. It's not like yeah. conquer, there's confetti and fireworks and everything's all better. And yet, even though it's not perfect, you're staying and staying well. Talk about that. Well, part of what I learned in Conquer and in the relationships with other women in Conquer is that a lot of the women drawn to Conquer are drawn because they are in destructive, abusive marriages. And I think some of what I actually learned was it could be a lot worse. So, yeah. so there's a, there's a little bit of that where he's never controlled the money. He's never controlled what I wear, what I say. He's never done any kind of religious abuse. He's never, he's never yelled at me. He's never called me a name. Um, he, he just stonewalls. 
and not in a way like even some of the stonewalling stories I've heard where they won't speak to them for days. Like, no, stonewalling is he goes and mows the lawn. Like, this, this isn't the end of the world, stonewalling. He just doesn't, to me, when I want to be talked to. He doesn't. And now, like I said, almost because I am an emotional person and because I have a lot of triggers and because I will always be healing from this betrayal. Almost every day now, he has to ask me, where'd you go? What's going on? Are you okay? And he does. And that matters. It mm-hmm. matters to know that I matter to him when I feel like I am. And he has taken to almost every day sending me a text message to, that just says something kind or something, I miss you today. Or I don't know if he says I miss you. I, I, I probably read that into it because that's a needy term. I don't think he ever says, I miss you. I need you. I want you come do this. But it, he'll say something like, vacation we took together was really, was my favorite. I really liked that. Mm-hmm. You know, or he'll say, I'm remembering that time, that, that vacation we took. That was really good. Or this is my favorite picture of you. And he'll send me a picture that he has out on his phone of me. So he'll say something kind like that. And I don't really need a lot. I mean, I came from not being loved at all. So where maybe I'm just getting scraps, it fills my love tank. I feel feel tremendously loved by him now. And I'm doing less of being the lost puppy dog following him around. So he still spends way too much time watching TV and way too much time in the yard and the house projects. And he's just, he likes to be busy or when he's too tired to be busy, then he just checks out with TV where I used to follow me around the yard, trying to, trying to help. And every time I'd start digging the same weeds, he's digging all of a sudden he'd get up and leave and go somewhere else to work. And I'd find myself sad and lonely and alone. And then he watches TV and I would sit next to him. So I would watch news that stresses me out football that I don't (laughs) even care about. And it was getting his needs met for the side-by-side stuff. But I was feeling lonely and sad. And now when he turns on the TV, I go grab a jigsaw puzzle. And I'm like, I love doing puzzles. And I do puzzles. And now sometimes he wanders around the house, like hangs around me doing a puzzle, like wondering how much longer are you going to do this puzzle? But actually, he sometimes doesn't get his needs met now. And actually chases me a little bit in his way. So because you don't, because you lost that capital in the NEED, you don't, you don't require him you don't need him to be okay right and i'll ask him lots of stuff like about his needs too like am i giving you enough words of encouragement am i giving you and you know like the house of service obviously i'm can't clean the house enough and he won't come home and grab a vacuum cleaner and vacuum right after me or something like he just he likes doing stuff so i don't know that my acts of service i think he appreciates it but I'm going to invite you to fills his love tank. So I think really all he needs is words of affirmation. And I ask him all the time, am I giving you enough words of affirmation? He says, Connie, you always do. So I think that it's, it's less about my words of affirmation. And now that I'm not telling him what he's doing wrong, in addition, now my words of affirmation are landing. And Mm -hmm. now he's feeling closer to me because he's appreciating my words of affirmation because they're not followed by, but I'm not getting my needs met. If you could say one thing to our listener who is struggling in her marriage, is scared, lost, angry, frustrated, and even hopeless, what would you want to say to her? I want to give her a big hug 
but I would want to have a lot of empathy, a lot of understanding that when you're experiencing this and you're thinking this, and these are your thoughts, and this is your history, that it's normal to feel that way. So there will be a lot of that. Like I understand sometimes you just can't tell somebody nobody could have told me that time was going to heal some of this. And for my, all of my husband's let the dust settle in some ways, he was kind of right. Like when I was in fight or flight mode, it wasn't, it wasn't going to get better. Like I didn't need to step out of it and step away from it to be able to heal myself to allow God to heal me, to allow Leslie's teaching to heal me, to get better. Because when it was in my face 24-7, I couldn't heal. So I guess it. I guess my advice would be to, to take the time for yourself. Take yourself out of it as much as you can, whether that means just physically, emotionally, having a, your prayer closet, whatever it is, where you can get away and focus on what is God teaching me out of this, what is mine to own, what is out of my control. Take that time to give yourself that love and compassion that it's right there for your grasp. It is. And Connie, I'm just blown away by your story when you think about your childhood and where you came from and where you could be. could be so much worse. And I think that in many, many ways, your story is one of hope and success. And I hope that you receive that. And I appreciate you sharing it with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's leslievernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with Him, with yourself, and with others.